0: This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk No Time to Die, the newest entry in the hit 007 franchise, discuss some big news coming from Destiny 2, Sora in Smash, and more. Stay tuned for another episode of BMTBM.
1: I'm Jackson Walkup, and I like my chocolate milk stirred, not shaken.
0: I'm Jason Simmons, and, oh, I travel. I'm sort of a licensed troubleshooter.
1: I'm Jordan
2: Walkup, and I just failed the test to get my license to kill again. Folks, we're talking about Bond. James Bond. Specifically... Daniel Craig's depiction of Bond, over the last 15 years. He's come a long way since Casino Royale in 2006, and it hasn't always been a seamless journey. But now, No Time to Die is here, as the final adventure before someone new inevitably picks up the mantle in the near future, and boy howdy, people sure are going to be mad about it. No Time to Die is, above all else, a celebration of Daniel Craig's time as the character, and a fitting send-off for the super-spy himself. So, we're going to dig back into all the things that make James Bond great, and hit on some of the things we hope the next Bond films do a little bit different. But, before we get into any of that, let's just talk about 007 as a whole. Let's really get into who James Bond is. And now, I've been reading some older reviews, specifically of Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, and I've noticed a lot of words and phrases that get repeated regularly. So for y'all's sake, I'm just going to list off a few of them and I want y'all to come up with like the particular movie or characters or scenes or even just like things from Bond that come to mind when you hear these words. So so here we go. Espionage.
1: Casino Royale. Of all of the, I know just saying the an entire movie is a weird way to start with that. But of all of the James Bond, Daniel Craig movies, it is the most spy. He definitely
0: spends the most time, like, actually doing spy stuff. He's undercover for a decent portion of the movie. Like, I would definitely agree that espionage is the main thing with Casino Royale. And uh, it's not quite as important in some of the other movies.
2: Actually, now that you mention it, he spends almost no time actually undercover (laughs) after casino royale like he does spy stuff as in like tailing people and like casing scenes and all that stuff but he doesn't actually like he's very rarely like in disguise or trying to truly blend into a a setting for more than like part of one scene (laughs) most of it ends in a shootout fairly quickly
1: i think my favorite example of espionage in this movie is the first villain that he's trying to take out can't remember his name it's the guy that he gets the the Aston Martin from, so he finds him in a. I uh, honestly was it a. I honestly, can't remember if it was an airport lobby or a casino.
0: <laughs> it was a, like resort hotel.
1: <laughs> well, no, yeah. No. So he finds him a, a v- first at this resort hotel, and then he goes to Miami, because that's where the villain goes, and either in this casino or airport, because they were both in the same place he is blending in with the crowd very unnoticeably and kills the guy like pretty much in plain sight with the knife to his stomach i just really think that is one of like the best espionage moments in this film
2: that's some hitman stuff right there (laughs) yeah I,
0: i do always think it's really cool when they they do like the in plain sight assassins you know trying to kill each other thing um yeah I mean, the first movie that honestly comes to mind when I think of scenes like that are, like, John Wick. Um,
1: Yeah, there's that famous uh, silence pistol fight scene that goes around.
0: Yeah, they're just, like, walking through an airport, like, around a whole bunch of people shooting each other with silence pistols. And I don't think silence pistols are anywhere near that quiet, but it was a really cool scene. (laughs) Yeah. I think a big part of James Bond is he doesn't necessarily have to go undercover very often because, like, unless it's someone that actually already knows him, he has a really boring name. Yeah. (laughs) And he's not, like, particularly interesting looking other than the fact that he's, like, dressed up generally.
2: Yeah. I also read this one one just brutal review of Casino Royale like content wise they were saying like best Bond movie of all time by a huge margin but they they specifically dug into like I think one of the things that sells this movie is how ridiculously ugly Daniel Craig is (laughs) like This dude just looks so busted. He's so bad compared to other... Bo- like, they just really, like... They are They are railing on Daniel Craig's looks for, like, two paragraphs of that review, but as, like, a positive. Because, like, he's a guy that could actually blend in. He's not... He's not your... Uh, he, he's not your Sean Connerys of the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, generally at least, the bonds that I've seen are classically handsome. And Daniel Craig... He is a little bit weird looking, let's be honest. Yeah. He's got a strangely shaped face. Yeah. We still I do remember
2: that. <laughs> yeah. I remember that being a big conversation before he took on the role. Like when it was first confirmed he was going to take on the role, people just saying he's not handsome enough. Oh, their but biggest issue just... with
0: him was that he was blonde. Yeah. They were like, "We can't have a blonde <laughs> James Bond." That's insane.
2: Yeah, could you imagine? <laughs> But speaking of, the next word I want to throw out there, women. And I know what you're thinking. There are no Bond girls now, because Daniel Craig killed them all. I guess that's what uh, he meant when he said there's no Bond girls.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to reply with death. (laughs) Almost every single woman that James Bond sleeps with dies. There are two that I know of that don't? (laughs) Well, okay. Wait, no, I take that back, because Vesper does die. (laughs) Yeah i did uh, really really does like not Best die her.
0: she's definitely my favorite of the bond girls in this oh absolutely
2: series. absolutely
0: i thought yeah. that she was like an actually fun and kind of realistic character and like the uh just the way that they like interacted with each other it, it felt a lot more believable
2: yeah yeah she was also the first bond girl that wasn't like there was definitely still some sexualizing going on but she was the first one who wasn't either uptight secretary that bond is trying to seduce or incredibly dumb i don't know what how, how to describe her girl that bond is trying to seduce like she was the first one that felt like a fully realized character which i think was one of the the really like establishing elements of the the daniel craig movies versus the previous ones
0: yeah i don't really remember the uh the Craig movies being, like, as objectifying. It seemed like in a lot of the scenes where James Bond was seducing a woman, the woman was generally in on it. <laughs> at least yeah. a little.
2: Yeah. it. it I, feel, I do feel like there's a lot of scenes where he goes up to a girl at a bar or something and is trying to be all smooth, and then it's, like, made abundantly clear right away. She's like, I know who you are. I know what you're <laughs> trying to do, but let's go. <laughs>
1: A good example of that is in Skyfall, when he uh meets the girl that the main villain is like uh not I don't dating. really know what their
2: relationship is at all. Yeah.
1: But she's like she's like one hundred percent aware of what James Bond is doing and she she still like goes on with it.
0: Spectre has the same kind of thing going on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think and I think that No Time to Die actually does a really good job of introducing some, like, strong, independent women that aren't in, like, a relationship with James Bond to any degree. <laughs> that was the first time we really saw that. Because, like, I think that Lashana Lynch's Nomi, the, the new 007, is, like, she's hardcore. And, like anna de Armas's paloma like she she takes care of herself even if she is kind of ditzy in that more generic way
0: yeah but they're both really cool and they're out there kicking ass taking names so <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah okay our next word style because I mean, these movies are dripping with it
0: <laughs> obviously the first thing you got to think of is game spawn's got the suits
1: God, he's got yeah. some nice
0: suits, and several of them. And uh, a little bit of a fun fact about James Bond, there are two versions of almost every suit that he wears in the series, because there's the normal suit that he's wearing when he's like out running around, and it's like fitted properly and everything, and then he has what they call hero suits, which are just the ones that he wears for like dramatic posing and like showing off, but he can barely move his arms because the suits are multiple sizes too small
2: they show off that ar- those arms and that chest to get away from what Jason described as his busted face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, now I feel self-conscious just about, like, ragging on Daniel Craig's appearance because, like, I wish I looked like that. <laughs> but, like, I think that really there are two parts of, of just the style of 007 because, like, of course, there's you know his his looks and his swagger and everything, but it's also like the environments they're in because he's in the, they're always in these very upscale, over the top, super wealthy settings. And
0: James Bond takes place in three locations: rich people's like houses and hotels and stuff like that. Um, London. And the absolute middle of nowhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I always really dig those scenes where he's in these like really swanky upscale places, and then you find out how seedy it is, and then it immediately devolves into a massive gunfight. <laughs> like, I think No Time to Die has one of the best examples of those with uh, the the scene with uh, where he and Paloma are basically scoping out this big Spectre party. Mm. and uh once you really find out what's going on and the extent of the plans then it becomes like one of the longest fight scenes in like the entirety of daniel craig bond movies
1: honestly probably one of my favorite ones too yeah
0: yeah it's definitely really cool and there's a lot of different moving pieces because you know bond and paloma are both there like fighting the specter guys and like the police a little bit too (laughs) And then Nomi's (laughs) there as well, you know, trying to carry out her own mission that's separate from what they're doing, and they're fighting each other. It's a whole thing. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a really fun scene to kind of (laughs) watch. One of the more memorable from No Time to Die, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And it's hard to talk about the whole Bond style
1: without our next topic. Cars. (laughs) There's some real nice cars in these movies. Usually someone, Aston Martins. Usually, All, for I, I think. Well, well, at least well all the there's really a lot nice of other ones. cars. Sorry, you there's know, some Range Rovers in there.
2: <laughs> yeah, No Time to Die pop, taught me the important rule that if they're driving a Range Rover, they're a bad guy. <laughs> Only villains drive Range Rovers. But uh, that's always one of the most exciting parts for me, even as someone that knows nothing about cars at all i just i really like to see whatever like the car for the movie is and and then like the past several not really as much with no time to die but for a lot of them there was both like his old school aston martin and then like a brand new top of the line aston martin which they were basically using as product placement yeah and like the juxtaposition on those were always very cool
0: you say product placement. I mean, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is the car inspector, which was the Aston Martin DB10, I believe, and they mm. only made ten of that car.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's not product placement for that specific car, but for there's the always brand. like something comparable rolling around that that same year. So, like the DB10 is is an especially uh, elusive one. But, like, there were other new Aston Martins in the DB series that were actually accessible. And I'm sure sales spiked at least a little bit post-James Bond. And those cars are so expensive, if you just sell, like, ten more, you're set. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And then No Time to Die has the Aston Martin Valhalla, which is real nice. Completely wasted, Very pretty car. You see it driven,
0: like, twice. It's not even in that cool... James Bond doesn't even drive it. It's not even, like, cool cases. Yeah. Yeah.
1: James, yeah James bond doesn't drive it he drives the db5 and I believe his, some black his, Aston Martin that I do not know the name of one of his 60s cars I I don't remember yeah. but like I was kind of thinking I, might it might be would a DBS
0: be, yeah I was kind of thinking it would be like what they did with Specter I remember in a lot of the uh the marketing for Specter they tried to make it look like in the big uh car chase with Mr Hinks Um, that James Bond was just going to be driving a uh, a Mini Cooper. And they they didn't even show off what Mr. Hanks was driving. So it was a pretty big surprise when you get in the theaters and you see them driving. Well, Bond is in the DB10, and then Mr. Hanks has a, I think it's a Jaguar CX-75, which I don't think either of those cars were out at the time. So it was like the (laughs) first time you could even really see one of them being driven. (laughs) It was pretty insane. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it is kind of funny in in No Time to Die. I think the coolest driving scene uh, involves uh, Bond driving an early 2000s Toyota RAV4. (laughs) (laughs) So like not even really getting in getting into the hyper cars in the big action scenes. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, so first time.
2: The first time that the, uh, the the Valhalla was on screen, I like actively leaned over to one of you two and said like I want him to drive it. Yeah. <laughs> it never really came into fruition. He didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We got one more word and then we're moving on. I want to talk about murder.
1: Lots
0: of it. Hey, James Bond isn't a murderer. He's uh, he's ha- he has a license. You know? yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Is it is is it really killing a deer if you're licensed for it?
0: It's a state well, I mean, sponsored.
1: Yes, that's <laughs> a bad example, Jackson. That's it's a state sponsored
0: it- assassination. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is it
2: really murder if you have a license? I guess not. But is it really killing if you have a license? Still, yeah. <laughs>
0: hey, if you have a license, it's not like they can actually die from it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's how it works. Everyone knows since Daniel
0: Craig, you know, James Bond, <laughs> Daniel Craig also has a license to kill. I don't know if you guys yeah. heard about that.
2: Well, he did use it on all the previous Bond actors. That's how he got to where he is. Yeah.
0: He left, Pearson, uh, he left Pierce Brosnan alive, but he's not the same as he used to be.
2: <laughs> yeah, every time he sees Daniel Craig in any kind of Hollywood event, he keeps a lot of distance. <laughs> <sighs> Well, that's all the word association I had. So now let's get into the heavy stuff. So Jackson, as someone who has watched all five of these movies in the span of roughly a week, which I'm sorry you did that to yourself. Hey, the only (laughs) one that
1: was bad was Quantum of Solace, so it was fine. Yeah.
2: I, don't, I can't think of any situation where I would want to watch any five movies like back-to-back nights, though. So, like, good for you <laughs> with sticking with it at all. I watched two but, in the same day. <laughs> oof, I, I really couldn't do that. Whatever came second, I would be totally zoned out for. But what would you say are some of, like, the big Bond moments? Like, the, the quintessential 007 from the series?
1: All the openings from the movies. First yeah. up... yeah. I I think they all just really demonstrate James Bond really well. I mean, first up in Casino Royale, you have the black and white scene where he is sitting in a dark office about to assassinate a guy, and like that, that's just that again just goes with how uh, Casino Royale is the more spy movie of the movies. <laughs>
0: I find that yeah. scene hilarious. Like, I, I yeah, love that it is as really a scene, good. but the fact that the guys just straight up like, if they wanted to kill me, they would have sent a double O, and a double O has to kill two people. Uh, <laughs> and then it just immediately flashes back to James Bond just absolutely murdering a guy in a bathroom.
1: <laughs> yeah, that entire... Like, like brutally. <laughs> really good.
2: <laughs> I think that was also where people realized they were really like they were letting off the brakes with these movies because before that of what i've seen of the old james bond movies they were a little more like quippy type violence like he would shoot somebody but he would stand up and give a one-liner and then shoot them and all you'd see is them fall back like they weren't this the, they weren't this visceral <laughs> so.
0: well it's important to realize that all of the James Bond movies, except for one, I believe, you know, before Daniel Craig, was also before The Matrix, you know, and like we said in the Matrix episode, like that completely redesigned fight, or yeah, it, it completely changed how they did fight choreography in movies. Like we're double entirely in different landscape world. <laughs> and then on top of that, I mean. The the Bourne movies, I think the Bourne movies probably had a, the biggest effect on the new James Bond movies.
2: Yeah, I could definitely see that.
0: They really wanted to kind of capture that same energy, but with Bond. And it, it's kind of interesting because, like, they keep a lot of it, but the I would say the Daniel Craig movies get a little bit less serious as times as time goes on. Um. I mean, like, a big moment that comes to mind is, like, in the intro to Spectre, <laughs> when Daniel Craig's in the building that's falling down, and he just, he lands on a couch, and then he just stands up and, like, readjusts his suit before he starts going after the person that he needs to assassinate again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't
0: I think-, think that would have happened in Casino Royale. like... Well, obviously it didn't, but I I don't think that they would have written anything like that at that point. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Jackson, any other like any other of the intros? Like all the intros are great. I'll I'll definitely give you that. I think any other one like really stand out.
1: Yeah, I think the No Time to Die one is another pretty standout one. It takes place on like the streets of uh, somewhere in Italy. I don't remember where was it Rome? Yeah, and it's both like an on foot. Uh, fight. There's cars. Sorry, I actually I everything. think they
0: might have been in Athens, Greece.
1: No, it was definitely Rome, or not Rome, mm. but uh, Italy at least. They said the Acropolis, right? I'm, I'm I guess there sure might was, just be multiple Acropolises. Look, the Romans stole everything from the Greeks. We know there's two of them. But, anyways,
0: <laughs> there sure is one in Rome.
1: <laughs> but. Like, uh, one of my favorite parts about this opener is when the DB5 gets involved. Because I think this is the first time we really see it, like... Well, no, there's one other time that I can think of, but it was pretty short-lived. This is one of the few times we actually get to see it, like, use a bunch of gadgets, (laughs) the DB5. Because there's a part where James Bond gets cornered in the middle of a road by a bunch of other vehicles. So... Like, they're all shooting at him, but he got them bulletproof windows, so they ain't going down. And then he starts up his miniguns that come out of his headlights. (laughs) He starts spinning around. He lays out the smoke. They can't see him. And he defeats them. I think that's just, like, a pretty cool scene that showcases, like, the gadgetry of James Bond, which, from what I've heard, is a lot more non-Daniel Craig films. (laughs)
2: Oh, absolutely. There were some older ones which were just a mess of stuff, like made 60s Batman TV look tame, (laughs) just like the random gadgets out of nowhere that did unexpected things.
0: Is it the the man with the golden gun where at one point he does like a corkscrew in the DB5 and it does a slide whistle while he's flipping?
2: (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I don't think I've even seen that movie. I've just seen that scene and it's so dumb.
0: not really a gadget scene, but like yeah. the cars and being ridiculous kind of used to be a bigger thing. And in some yeah. of the, uh, e- even just thinking back to the Pierce Brosnan ones, like at one point he gets an invisible, like a car that can turn invisible, God, which it makes so no stupid. sense. I saw the <laughs> car turns invisible, but they, they show in the beginning that it just kind of shows whatever is behind it. <laughs> But at one point, he hides behind the car. And you... (laughs) He should have just been visible on the other side. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's one of the few scenes I've seen of previous James Bond movies.
2: So we've already kind of gotten into it that these movies aren't necessarily, quote-unquote, spy movies anymore. Or at the very least, they're, they're kind of hanging out on the edges of what a spy movie is. So so Jason, why don't you why don't you tell us about some of these like especially not James Bond 007 spy moments from these movies?
0: There are a lot of like big city chases in these movies which they they always like stand out to me. There there's a scene right at the beginning of Casino Royale where he breaks into a foreign embassy to kill the guy that he was supposed to get information from i don't really know exactly why he decides to kill him other than he gets cornered i think that seems a little bit ridiculous and not very spy like
2: there are a lot of big dramatic chase scenes through like really densely populated areas and very fast over the top cars but for this to be all spy stuff, there are very few, like, true on-foot chases. And I feel like that would be a pretty big part of, like, a spy trying to silently, you know, capture somebody. But there aren't many of them. And that those make for some really good action scenes in movies.
0: I think with the James Bond movies, at least the Daniel Craig ones, a big thing that they go for a lot of the time is making it to where the villain has the upper hand on James Bond. Which... In a lot of ways, this makes him look like he's bad at his job.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's never prepared quite enough.
0: Yeah, like people are, they always know more about him. The scene that comes to mind is in, I'm thinking of Spectre a lot, honestly. But like (laughs) when he goes to infiltrate the meeting that Spectre, the organization is having, and Blofeld's just like, I actually know you're here. (laughs) And then there's a giant car chase like through the middle of, I think that was also in Rome.
1: sounds right
2: now hold on a minute so i I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective so that means that in skyfall specter and no time to die basically when he shows up at the villain like when he meets the villain for the first time every single time it's like well actually i knew you were here the whole time and it was part of my plan (laughs) like like that (laughs) happens to him every time
0: the scene in um no time to die and the scene inspector are very similar.
2: Yeah, where it's
0: yeah. you know James Bond's broken in here and he thinks that he has the upper hand, and then the bad guys are just like, "How you doing, James?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let's kind of get into those villains because I think that a collective issue with Bond movies, and you can really expand this out to action movies as a whole, is that generally speaking, the villains are. At best, like, tropes, and at worst, just totally forgettable. And I think, for me, of, of the five villains we're really digging into here, because I know, I know a couple of the movies kind of have two villains, but, like, of the big central villain of each movie, I think the best ones would have to be Mads Mikkelsen's uh, Chiffre. Le Chiffre. Le, Le chief so So. I think that even though he isn't the most like physically he's not on this next right like he's not on this next level like some of the others are he's still this just like classically evil and intimidating like he has that same sort of like style that bond has but just the bad guy kind
0: which I, I think I love is pretty the scene cool when he first finds out that James Bond like ruined his his first plan, the thing that, like, makes him do the poker tournament. Yeah. And he's playing cards with some other people. (laughs) And uh, he gets the call. He's like, this is bad. He's like, tell the people that I was playing poker with they have five minutes to leave. (laughs) And it's like, if not, throw them off.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) And, like, someone that, like, he doesn't even have that much power compared to some other ones, but just being that willing to just, like, do stuff like that at the drop of a hat's pretty, pretty scary stuff. And the um, big
0: thing is he controls like all the money for all the bad yeah. guys.
1: He's like all of them. Yeah, he's like their broker,
0: basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or an
1: accountant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the like an to evil terrorist. <laughs> His whole thing is like he gives money to other terrorist organizations. Yeah,
0: I yeah. think the idea is he takes their money. Like he's literally a broker. Like, he yeah, takes their yeah. money and he invests it, and then he fixes the market so his investments always work out. Right. He,
2: I, is, he is literally just the money guy, but for several of the most devious organizations in the whole world at the same time. But, but he's not actually, like, directly connected to any one of them. I like but, the
0: villain in um, Quantum of Solace quite a bit as well. Uh, Dominic Green. Like, he just kind of felt like a more realistic villain to me. He's just yeah. like, small, nerdy guy who's just trying to screw over everyone because he thinks he's been wronged.
1: I would definitely say he is the most realistic villain of any of the movies. His plot is to control the water supply of Bolivia. I think... No, not Bolivia, was it? Or was it Bolivia?
0: It was Bolivia.
1: Okay, yeah. Of Bolivia, so they go into a drought and then sell the water back to them for a profit. Which is a pretty realistic plot.
0: <laughs> because it actually happened.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I also was a pretty
2: big fan of uh, Christoph Walt's portrayal of Blofeld. I don't think some of Blofeld's like, writing is the best. But I think like the look and the energy that he brought to it, he was very just... He was scary. <laughs> like both looked at... And like the way he talked, like the cadence that he took and everything was always very, like, it kind of like left you on edge a little bit. And I really appreciated that. I, I didn't necessarily love Spectre. It was, it was one of the weaker movies, but I think like he was a decent villain. And I'm glad that he comes back, even if it's just for a little bit of No Time to Die.
0: Yeah, the thing with Spectre is, like, overall, it's not amazing, but it has so many really good scenes in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like they it's like they had a good Bond movie in there, and then they just, like, added a lot of other stuff on top of
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, I still liked it. Definitely one of the worst of the five, but...
0: I thought, like, yeah. making Blofeld a more personal villain for Bond was pretty cool. Yeah, because
1: yeah. up until then, like, there were, like... Uh, Silva in Skyfall was more personal but towards M not bond. so this mm-hmm. was really the first like personal to bond villain in the movies right
2: yeah because the first two were people he really had no connection to at all until yeah. he was on a mission to stop them so so let's let's really let's knock out those comparisons you know you you gotta have an order for everything. We're a podcast. We review some stuff. So of course we got to make our list. <laughs> so I, I think for me personally, well, let me, let me expand this out. I think for most people, Casino Royale and Skyfall are sort of the, the, the cream of the crop, the, the top dogs. Like those are the two examples of what really great James Bond looks like. I think for me personally, I'd still put Skyfall just a little bit over, although they admittedly, I haven't seen Casino. I haven't seen Casino in a in a bit. Like I I really probably need to rewatch that one more than any of the others, but I would say it's probably Quantum Solace's is last. And that's Yeah, that's that's, that's an def- easy one.
1: He had no script. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'd say Specter's number 4. The new one, No Time to Die is number 3. It fits pretty cleanly in the middle there. Yeah. And then you have Casino Royale Two and Skyfall, one, which are those two, are still like a pretty good chunk above the other three. Yeah. Um, that, which even still, I would say, No Time to Die, Inspector, were still like overall good movies.
1: Yeah. That's actually exactly what my list is.
0: I'm, I'm going to go ahead and switch a couple of them. I, I personally prefer Casino Royale over Skyfall. Yeah, I think that I, it feels like much more of a a self-contained, like really good story. It it doesn't feel Skyfall to me definitely feels like a middle movie. <laughs> like as good as it is, it's still kind of uh you can tell that there's more to come afterwards. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's fair.
0: And the it's, ending it's is trying a little lackluster because of it. Yeah, it's trying to set up for Spectre and also kind of, you know, tie up some loose threads from Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. I think Casino Royale just kind of feels more like a self-contained movie. And I I really like that, personally. Yeah. Uh, And then I think I might say, I might switch Spectre and No Time to Die as well. I I mean, I really like No Time to Die. And I really like Spectre. Like, they're very close. But I, I think Spectre actually is a little bit better than No Time to Die. So I'll say Casino Royale, Skyfall, Spectre, No Time to Die, Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace definitely earned its place at the bottom of the list. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> For a lot of reasons. I feel it like... Just, it looks bad. Like, yeah. it's not even visually appealing like the other movies are.
1: I think a lot of it isn't really its fault, though. It's because it had no script. I mean, not the, like, how the movie looked, because that comes to the directing, but...
0: I mean, it still had a script. It was just that it was during the writer's strike. They should have delayed the movie.
1: Well, I don't I don't think it was a finished Like, I'm script. not... I might be wrong about that, but I don't think it was finished. Well,
2: but like what but what Jason's saying is regardless, they should have delayed the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, they definitely even, should.
1: Even even if it had
2: nothing to do with the script, it just out of genuine like concern and for the well-being of the writers. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> they they should have delayed it, but yeah, I I think that there was a lot of there was a lot of issues with Quantum of Solace in general, like even just the action scenes were hard to follow. There were like visually it clearly didn't have the same level of polish that the other ones did. A lot of the uh, personal <laughs> moments felt more cliche. Yeah, like they were trying to be the old
1: Bond and
0: the combat in Quantum of Solace is so bad. It, it feels like <laughs> feels like having a stroke. Like
1: yeah, the one that comes to mind is uh, there's a scene I think pretty close to the beginning where James Bond breaks into a assassin's hotel room. And, like, that's just... it. It's so poorly choreographed.
0: It's not even... I, I don't even necessarily know that it's poorly choreographed. My issue is it'll have cuts, like, mid-punch.
1: Yeah, like, that too.
0: <laughs> I personally don't think that you should ever cut while someone's, like, in motion. Well,
1: because realistically- it completely
0: disorients you. Like, you have no... You lose any sense of, like... You lose any sense of power when you cut mid-motion. Because, like, it's not obvious where they started. You're having to find where things are. And then they also do the thing where they'll, like, zoom in on people's hands, like, while they're punching. And it's like, that's not...
1: I never want to see that in any circumstance. It never looks good.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I actually... I've I've started seeing some videos that come up every now and then on my, like, YouTube recommends. And I, I have no idea why. But it kind of gets into, like, it's stuff that gets into, like, the cinematography of action scenes and things like that. And it's really cool when you understand why they're doing things the way they do. Because you don't really know how much a cinematographer is sort of controlling your vision in movies. And I think good fight scenes, it's always abundantly clear what the focus is. And even if there's something in the background that's going to become the focus, your eyes are naturally going there because of the way the camera work is being done. And I feel like with Quantum of Solace, it was a lot of just generic, okay, in this shot you're going to punch this guy, and then we're going to cut, and then this guy is going to stand up and try and swing at this guy, and then we're going to cut to, like, there was no motion to it. It was just a series of, like, basically still shots of different movements.
0: Yeah. I would say when it comes to fight scenes, unless you really know what you're doing, the fewer cuts, the better.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It seems a lot more believable that way, too, if there's no breaks in it. Like, you know, this is like a true, like, long choreographed fight. But that's a lot of Bond talk. So let's, let's, you know, one last thing here. What are you guys kind of hoping... For the future of Bond, because we know there's more coming. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. A lot of people are thinking it's a new era for Bond in terms of it probably, or not probably. There's a good possibility it will not be a you know a middle-aged straight white dude next time around. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of people are sort of seeing an evolution in the themes and the style of Bond, which I think is pretty cool. Like for me personally, But I'd really like to see. In the short term, I I would very much like to see something else involving Lashana Lynch's Nomi, the the new 007, or the person who stepped in as 007 while Vaughn was retired. I think that she just brought a really unique energy to it. I think, you know, pretty much from the minute she's introduced, you you see that this is like a really, really realized character um, that they've put a lot of thought into, which I thought was really cool. And I, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was especially disappointing that Ana Darmus' Paloma is barely in no time to die, even though she was just introduced. Because I think there's a lot there. This this idea of this like rookie, bubbly, very excited agent um, for the CIA that was that was very cool. That wasn't, you know, I would like to see more of to some extent. But realistically, we know enough about Bond to know that the next one will probably be another reboot that will have a new actor in the role of Bond. And if we're going to have to do that, what I would very much like to see is, one, take several years off, because if they try and push out a sequel in a couple of years, people are going to be furious. And two, I really want someone that does not look or act anything like the previous Bonds. I specifically want someone like Idris Elba, who has already had a long history of people wanting in this role I think he's he's probably also just my favorite actor in general, and I I love him and just about everything he's in. But like, that's the type of changeup I I personally want to see.
1: I would love to see Chris Elba in the role as James Bond. My only problem with that I don't I don't know how old he is. I assume like forties. So if they took a good bit off before doing another James Bond movie, I feel like he might be too old. Cause this you know I mean, I mean I know you know a lot of stunt work is done by stunt actors but like the actors themselves do still do a lot of stuff Daniel Craig how old, broke his leg how old while... Do you think
0: how old do you think Daniel Craig is
1: I'd say mid40s
0: late 40s he's
1: 53
0: 53 and
2: Andrewelle Elba's 49 so there is still precedent yeah <laughs> but i i do get what you're saying to some extent though like if you if you if there's even a chance the next actor is going to be in the role anywhere near as long as as daniel craig was you definitely want someone at least a little bit younger than
1: that yeah and daniel craig broke his leg during the shooting for one of the earlier films and like you know he would have been much younger because the earlier films were like more than 10 years ago but so there's
2: also you have to keep in mind these are Hollywood actors like Daniel Craig is fit in a way that like no one I personally know could compare to. That's true. So I mean like him getting hurt in his 50s is not nearly as big of a deal as like you know my family members in their 50 breaking a bone or something. Yeah,
1: me breaking my leg at 17 would probably be worse than Daniel Craig breaking his leg.
0: But uh I I'm kind of interested to see if they'll keep the background actors or not background actors, but you the know, like MQ yeah. money, Penny the
2: supporting cast.
1: Yeah. I really liked the supporting cast in all the movies. And like, if they continue, I to really do... liked Q
0: in these movies. Yeah. I thought it was like a fun change of pace because usually it's an old man. And then this time they were like, this dude's in his twenties. <laughs> yeah, I also and he feel invented like, hacking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I also feel like whenever there's you know like the hacker of an organization, they're always like, like say like super scientific stuff that no one understands, and they're just then they're just like, ugh, common people. But like he never does anything like that, so I really like Hugh.
2: <laughs> he does fall into some stereotypes for like the tech guy, but not nearly as many as like a lot of other similar roles have so i don't really have a problem with him
0: falling into those stereotypes because like he's he's the tech guy like he's the only one really that they show you
1: well i just mean like tech guys in movies usually have like a certain stereotype where they fall into where they act like they're like 20 times smarter than everyone else in the room and whenever someone says a normal thing he acts like they're the stupidest person on earth and q just doesn't do that because Q is actually a pretty well, cool guy. It'll be part interesting. of it is also the fact that everyone else around him
2: is also very, very smart, just not in the same way. True.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it will be interesting uh, to see who they pick for the next M, or if they're just going to stick with uh, Ray Fiennes.
1: If they do yeah, stick, I was actually just about to say, yeah, if they stick in I, the current universe, I really hope Ray Fiennes still, especially if he's more like he was Inspector, because I really liked him Inspector.
0: Well, the longer we wait, the less we're going to see him. Like he was Inspector, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm also like specifically Ray Fiennes and Naomi Harris. Like I think that they're just I associate those two with the with the series just as much as Daniel Craig. Oh yeah. And it would be weird to not see them around if if they do keep anything from the the previous. I think it should definitely be those two
1: because they've both been in every movie since Skyfall. Yeah. That does bring up kind of an interesting point. Other than M and maybe Tanner, the original M, I mean, uh, there weren't really a whole lot of the original M. The (laughs) original
0: M. That was a long time ago. Yeah. But Judy Dench did play M in the.
1: uh, Yeah. The first. Yeah. What I meant was
0: first. Well, no, no. I meant I meant that she also played M in the. Uh. Shoot. uh, Pierce Pierce Brosnan Brosnan movies. Oh
1: yeah, interesting. But, yeah, like, I feel like in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, there's not really any, like, returning characters besides M <laughs> and maybe Tanner. Yeah. I can't remember if he's in them or not.
2: <laughs> I think she had a solid send-off, but I love Judy Dench, and I was still sad when she died.
1: <laughs> I haven't seen her in anything else that I know of, but I, I think she did a really good job as M in the Bond movies.
0: Yeah, she definitely did incredible. And I I think she did... She was the best part of the Pierce Brosnan movies, in my opinion. So she really continued that same energy. She managed to, you know, portray the same character while getting, like, a lot darker. But it still feels like the same character.
1: Yeah.
2: So I'm actually looking at her uh, IMDb now because I was thinking, like, Jackson's bound to have seen something that this woman's in. But I've gone back about 10 years, and no. But <laughs> but also, this woman does not stop. She was in five, se- seven movies in 2015. Dang. Four in 2016. Three in 2017. Three in 2018. Five in 2020. Mid-pandemic, this woman was still cranking out movies. <laughs> One of them was Artemis Fowl. Oof. So, like... I don't know if that counts but like She does not stop
1: (laughs) I don't know she was also Apparently in Cats Yeah A lot of people in Cats And a lot of
0: them were good actors
2: (laughs) Idris Elba was in there I love him not enough to see Cats (sighs) Okay well Daniel Craig We thank you for your service (laughs) (laughs) And we bid you adieu. But we have a lot of other stuff that we need to get into. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with all the headlines. Folks, he is finally here. Or will be in... uh, Eight days. Well, for the day this is posting... He will be here in four days. (laughs) Sora is coming to Smash.
0: It's about time.
2: One of the most requested characters in the history of Smash Brothers, Sora, from the Kingdom Hearts franchise, is finally making his way into the game, as we found out in a Nintendo Direct last week.
0: It wasn't the Nintendo Direct where we found out.
2: Or the, the, the Smash Direct, sorry.
0: Yeah, in the Nintendo Direct, they just made a big announcement that we would get a new Smash character soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were like, "We're not telling you when the character's coming out." Actually, they explicitly said, "We're telling you when a character's coming out,"
2: because <laughs> they said that the Smash Direct is going to be this day, which they had never done with that much notice before. Most of the previous <laughs> ones were like either part of an award show or were like a couple <laughs> days before. They're like, "Hey, there's a Smash Direct in three days or whatever." But regardless Sora is on his way it's about dang time and I know for me he has been my most requested character pretty much since we found out that third party characters were even a possibility thanks to Smash Brothers Brawl for the Wii and uh, it turns out he was a lot of people's most requested character. Because the Smash Ballot in 2015, which they never released the results for, and only alluded to the fact that Bayonetta was somehow the most requested character. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, it was Sora the whole time. And they waited six years to tell us this.
0: Hey, good things come to those who wait. As a huge Kingdom Hearts fan, it's great to see him finally get in. I was definitely one of the people that requested him, so...
2: And we also got the the breakdown of... His style and his moves and his stage that are going to come with the DLC and, like, all very cool stuff. (laughs) I think he probably has the best alt costumes out of probably any character in the game, but definitely of any of the DLC characters.
1: What's the stage going to be?
2: So it's going to fly you through Hollow Bastion, the final state, or the final, like, regular stage from Kingdom Hearts 1. And it will over time sort of evolve into the...
0: Dive to the heart.
2: Yeah, which are the big stained glass platforms you spend a lot of time on in the beginning of Kingdom Hearts games. Oh. Um, and it will feature some references to other Kingdom Hearts original characters like Riku, Kairi, um, Terra, Ventus Aqua, Axel, Xion, all those guys. And Roxas. But... Roxas yes that I don't know why I left him off but it will not have any references to any Disney properties whatsoever except for the keychain on the keyblade will still be Mickey Mouse's head
0: <laughs> they replace Donald Duck with a dang boat <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah how can you replace the most powerful magician of all time <laughs> yeah oh, it seems like it's, a raft uh, will do it yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh I'll take uh one of the most powerful fire magics ever cast. Well, how 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 about a boat?
0: Sorry, we don't have Pepsi. Deal. Is boat okay?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but regardless all all that like you know, all the the hype and the reveal and all that aside, it's it's wild what Smash Brothers has become. Like, especially as someone that played the original on the Nintendo 64 excessively and have played every single entry in the series excessively up through Ultimate, like, just the evolution that has happened with those games is, is mind-blowing to me. I mean, the original game launched with a roster of 12 characters, all but two of which were just, like, the biggest names in Nintendo, and seeing it evolve into this roster with like almost 90 characters, like over a hundred stages, like so many rep- like different genres and different series represented. Most or not most, but like a third of which are not even Nintendo properties to begin with. Like just everything the series has become is crazy to me.
0: Let's just take a moment of silence for the characters that didn't make it in. Famously, a lot of people were asking for Luigi's brother Mario to make it into the game. (laughs) Unfortunately, Sora was chosen instead.
2: And a lot of people were asking for Wario's boyfriend, Luigi. He is also not in the game. They got Doomguy, though.
0: Uh, It's the Doom Slayer these days. Doomguy. Put some respect on it.
2: Doom they did also reveal guy. that there's going to be a me costume for Doomslayer, which is just one more property where they were fully aware that they can't put something that violent in Smash Brothers. Uh, even though I never play as the bees, I've actually bought most of the DLC costumes this time around. Uh, Judd hat? That's one I'm going to be skipping over. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's like guys. less than a dollar. It's also... A hat that is a reference to a minor character in a game I have played twice. So I don't even know what game it's from.
1: Splatoon. Ah, <laughs> Splatoon. Uh, yep. I've played Splatoon. I still have
0: no idea who this is. Uh, it's Judd. Parentheses hat. Ah, uh, yes.
2: <laughs> <sighs> I'm really excited for this. I am sad to see like. The end of the news cycle for Smash Brothers Ultimate. <laughs> like, a couple months after Sora launches, we're just gonna stop talking about Smash Brothers for a couple years at least. And that's kind of a bummer, because I like talking about Smash Brothers.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the series goes from here, or if it ever happens again. I don't think we'll ever get something this big.
2: Yeah, what I'm expecting... And I wanna hear y'all's theories on this as well. But what I'm expecting is the next entry will be something that has the smaller core competitive group totally in mind. Cause I think that Ultimate is great in terms of being both a game that is approachable but still having that competitive scene that's you know, pretty solid. But I think the next game will go smaller, tighter, and really really hone in on what they want you know basically a melee sequel to be and i think we're gonna see substantial cuts to the roster and i think it's gonna be faster gameplay again and i think it's going to have a much higher skill floor this time around
0: faster than ultimate
2: i think so geez like for me ultimate ultimate sort of in a perfect middle ground like it's not the slow clunkiness of brawl but it's not the absolutely impossible to keep up with level of melee. And I think, I think if they're going to lean one of those two ways again, it'll be towards melee.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of lame that it doesn't have a tripping mechanic. (laughs) Yeah. You know, this every time you see professional fighters, you know, like MMA, WWE, whatever, they're always, they're constantly tripping. That's a thing that professional fighters are always doing. And Brawl is the only game that's ever really captured that, that constant Brawl. tripping onto your face of competitive fighting.
2: <laughs> Brawl was the only game brave enough to give us real violence.
0: Uh, no, I, I strongly think it'll go the other way. Um,
2: like even more open and like accessible.
0: Yeah, I think accessibility is Smash's bread and butter. Like, I don't think that they would ever make one that's specifically for the fighting game community because there are plenty of games for those people already.
2: That That is fair. Like, Smash Brothers, at least today, hits a sort of niche market but also has that mass appeal. And I, I do think a game that's more mechanically robust and requires more time just to, like, get the basics of sort of flies in the face of that. So... I I do think that whatever the next game is will still have a bigger focus on the competitive scene than Ultimate, but I don't think it's going to go full on, like, I don't think it's going to be, like, Street Fighter, Tekken stuff.
0: From my experience, Nintendo hates the consumer, so. <laughs> uh,
1: I could go either way. Yeah.
0: I don't think that they'll <laughs> cater towards the fighting game crowd, like, ever. I, I think it's pretty clear that they don't They don't care That much about them They just see the fighting game community As free advertisement Like that that's really it They're like oh it's people that are constantly Playing our game on Twitch or whatever Like that's driving more sales But they don't like care beyond that
2: Jackson what do you think Is going to come next uh, A new Smash game <laughs> How long do y'all think it'll take for them to to step back from this being the last Smash Brothers game?
0: When's the next console uh, generation going to start?
2: That's kind of what I'm
1: picturing. Like a year
0: yeah. or two
2: after the next console, whatever the true Switch Pro is.
1: Yeah, because Ultimate came out about a year after the Switch released, about a year and a half because it was holiday. But so, yeah, I'd say next Switch... <laughs> Maybe, you know, a little after release, but yeah. I don't see them doing two games on one console anyways. <laughs> they haven't before, I don't think. Yeah, no, they have, like, it has been
2: exactly one per console generation since the N64. So I think that that is a fair assessment.
0: Uh, the real big question is, do you think Sakurai will be involved with the next one?
2: I think they would be incredibly dumb if he's not at least involved I kind of hope for his well-being he's not the director anymore.
0: He's really good at his job, but you can definitely see that it wears on him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm I mean, just reading into things too much. But I mean, I, I mean he's I been working on vibes. smash games for 20 years now.
2: I really do love this series though. Like I think it's just such a good it's such a good game in any context.
0: Everyone loves a a good crossover, right? Jackson, you got any opinions on this new Destiny 2 news? Yeah, I'm
1: spaghetti Oh, God. Undo (laughs)
2: that, and now just explain what the story is before you do that. (laughs) Unsay what you said.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Too late. So, last year, before the Beyond Light expansion came out... To make room in the storage size for Destiny 2 and not have another, like, COD Warzone situation. <laughs> they have been removing content to put in new content. And that's just not how you do a game.
0: <laughs> I don't get why they do it this way. Like, why don't they just make it to where... Are they, like, are they having server issues on their end? Why, I don't see why they don't just make it to where it's optional content
1: they're having server issues all the time don't worry
0: yeah no i mean like <laughs> like do they,
2: can they not store a game this big with this many players
0: and if if that's the problem then like they should probably reach out to some mmo makers who are doing significantly bigger worlds with more areas
1: yeah no they've said the issue behind it is they don't want people having like huge file sizes for the game on their consoles I don't which on one hand I get but on the other hand I don't think having content removed from a game is the right way to go at all
0: I don't get why they're doing it this way why don't they just make it to where it's optional
1: yeah like I, at this point I don't know.
0: it's not it's different from when the base game when they did this because with the base game right. they made it free to play anyways I guess right. <laughs> but this is paid content that's going away
1: Yeah. But, anyways, now when the next big DLC, Witch Queen, releases in February of 2022, they will be removing the Forsaken campaign, the Tangled Shore destination, and all non DLC year four content from the game. So that'll include the past four seasons of the game.
0: (laughs) That's insane. Yeah, I don't That's a horrible way to run a game. Yeah. Just to
1: save like 50 gigs on
2: your hard drive.
1: Yeah, as someone that really loves this game, I hate to see them do this to it. It's <laughs> I thought you were just going to say as
2: someone who really loves this game, I really hate this game.
1: <laughs> I mean, as a Destiny player, that is that is how everyone feels about the game. We all hate I Destiny, know. but no one hates Destiny more than people that love Destiny.
0: <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Well, you gotta spend but, a lot of time with something to truly hate it <laughs> it's
1: true it's true if they keep going this direction of removing a big dlc whenever a new big dlc comes out when the final dlc of this current saga that they're telling comes out in 2024 last year's dlc will be removed from the game that's beyond light by the way <laughs> so it just won't be in the game by then <laughs> Which it's just I don't know I don't
0: I just if you're getting to a point where you have to take paid content away from people right for your for whatever reason like it's it's stealing <laughs> like honestly
1: yeah like I understand that like I understand that the content from Forsaken is not used much anymore which has been their thought process behind like what they're taking out because like last year uh when they removed stuff, they took out the Mer- the uh, Mercury and Mars uh, campaigns, which I think had, like, a 5% play rate at that time. But, like, I still don't think they should just be removing paid content. <laughs> Especially when it's stuff like the past, uh, like, year of seasons that you just bought, you know, a year ago.
0: <laughs> it's also kind well, of wild considering, like... I've never seen another game do this. Like MMOs, will they'll remove like individual missions, but they and they'll remove like certain items and stuff like that, which Destiny's been doing since launch, anyways. So, yeah. But like, I don't think I've ever seen just entire campaigns go away. It, there's no way as a new player to get into Destiny two because you're going to be jumping into the deep end. Exactly. Right, yeah.
2: And like cutting single player content is the absolute worst move you can make for bringing on new players because right. the post game even when i was able to like really get into it i still recognize it's it's just a it's a number system like if i kill this thing this number gets bigger and like if you don't have some kind of base single player or at the very least like some kind of content you can just run around and do first to get into the world and the systems just bigger numbers are nothing. Like there's no selling point for just this gun's 8% better than this one. Like that, that doesn't matter if you don't have some kind of content to like
1: get yourself, get yourself situated with the world first. Right. Like they introduced this thing with the shadow keep experience, uh, sorry, uh campaign called the new light campaign. Because that's when the game went free. This was sort of just a very short and simple intro campaign. But, like, it doesn't, like, make you up to... It doesn't keep you up to date with wherever the story of the game is at that point. It's just, like, you're a new guardian and you gotta learn the robes of being a guardian.
2: It's randomly, like stuff that should have been in destiny one including one mission that straight up is from destiny one
1: yeah oh yeah
0: they took the intro mission from destiny one and just threw it in destiny two when they did the beyond light expansion
1: yeah that's just actually i think they did that they did that when shadow keep came out i think that's been that's been the case for a while yeah i i no never mind i'm wrong about that it was uh it was beyond light because shadow keep still had the red war campaign which was the game's launch campaign
0: I got my friends into it, even before they actually removed the intro campaign. They made it really hard to start. I tried to get my friends into Destiny 2 around the time that the, uh, around the time they started doing Seasons, I guess.
1: Yeah, that would have been Shadowkeep.
0: Yeah. I tried getting a bunch of my friends into it, but, like, it was a hassle to even get the main campaign started they hide it in the menus and stuff like that at this yeah. point and they don't tell you where it is they just drop you straight into the game and they're yeah. just and like, like the, it, it tells you there's like a campaign that it starts you on but it's not i think it's just whatever the most recent dlc's campaign is pops up as like your first mission if you create a new character now yeah it, it makes no sense because like you're not gonna have any context for that yeah. And the main story for the game is gone, so like they're referencing events that you have. It, it's as if yeah. they and just like, happened in a different game, more or less. Or like it'd be like if Halo started referencing all of the stuff that happened in novels and just acting they like are. you should know that.
1: Sorry, they are. It's not you the heard same Halo level. four and five.
0: <laughs> There's at least like still... some introduction. It would be like yeah. if you just jumped in to the aftermath of one of the novels. It's like <laughs> it's just weird. I, I don't understand I mean, why is, they're doing. I that this is that is kind
1: of how Halo 5 starts. But anyways, I like this game and I think it's in a good spot for people that have been playing for a while, but That's the game already the only
0: people they care about anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But like this game was already very inaccessible to people that had not started it when it came out. So straight up removing content from the game is not going to make things better. Even if they're going to cut open
2: worlds, still just leave like the linear story stuff. So, like, I I don't know. I mean, I don't get how game development works enough to really comment on this, but it just seems like they're prioritizing all the wrong things with this. But it's not, yeah,
0: it's yeah, not which, even like, a game development issue. It's just a storytelling issue. Yeah, Removing large just, swaths of the story.
1: Yeah, which it's so weird, too, because, like, over the past year of seasonal content, the storytelling of Destiny has grown significantly. And the fact that stuff like that is going to be removed in February is so dumb. Like, all right, so think about it this way. So there's a there's a new DLC almost a year after every DLC with the exclusion of this year. So, like, there's a four three-month seasons throughout that year. And, like, the the earliest one, it'll have about a year of time being in the game. But the latest one, if this was a traditional year and the DLC did not get pushed back by three months, would only have three months of being in the game before it gets removed.
0: Uh, I think they'll probably leave it in longer than that. But we've spent a long time talking about Destiny 2.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Might be best to move on.
2: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Next up, we're going to talk about Pirates. Yarr. The absolute lowest criminals in the world of entertainment.
0: I'm actually going to stop people, you right there.
2: <laughs> these people go out there and they play video games without giving their money to mega corporations first. The absolute lowest of the low. And they've gone and done it with a brand new game Metroid Dread. They've been playing it on those emulators since day one. And you know what? As someone that paid good money for my copy of Metroid Dread to play on my Nintendo Switch, I don't really care about this that much.
0: It's technically... This isn't a story about piracy. Because you can get... You can just plug your Nintendo Switch cartridges... You'd have to buy special hardware for it, but like you can play it just by plugging in your Nintendo Switch cartridge and downloading the data off of it, which hmm. you already own it. So, And that's also how you play the game on the Switch anyway, so there's nothing illegal about it. <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Well, then disregard that intro. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, people are playing Metroid Dread on emulators, and not only have they already figured out how to do this effectively, they can actually run a better version of the game than the Switch can. <laughs>
0: They're running it in 4K already, which the Switch can only even handle, is it 720p handheld, 1080p dogs? Yeah.
1: The Switch can't even handle handheld with steady frames, so...
0: (laughs) From my experience with Metroid Dread so far, it can't handle this game with steady frames all the time either.
1: (laughs) This game does not run well, so I understand why they're doing this. I mean, it runs fine, but... (laughs) I... frame drops in this game are so bad. I haven't played it in handheld, so I haven't experienced it. I thought it's been fine. I've definitely seen I've drops. I've only but played it in handheld.
2: Well, I recommend not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, emulators. They're taken over. And sometimes they're better than the originals, apparently.
0: It's pretty wild how quickly Switch emulation got up to the level that it is. Because, uh, as you can kind of clearly see with the... The ports of uh, Super Mario sixty four and games like that in the Super Mario All Stars collection. It's still kind. Of, it's still pretty hard to properly emulate an N sixty four. The fact that they're getting like a modern console to emulate well this quickly is insane. And I mean, we can't even emulate PS two properly at this point. I think that says a lot about the Switch's software more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, it might not. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. But it is, it's is—it's interesting that they've managed to kind of reverse-engineer it so quickly when, like, nothing else is being emulated at this level this quickly from release.
2: Still, like, you would think it would require more modification based on a game-to-game basis. But the fact that this is a brand-new game and is already running properly on emulators shows that there's either the people emulating this are a lot better at what they're doing than we thought, or emulating is just a lot simpler with the Switch than previous consoles.
0: I'm leaning towards the second one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Naturally, though, some people are very upset about this. Because when other people have nice things, we think to ourselves, why can't I have those same nice things? And then we immediately assume that those people are breaking the law.
2: We see that other people have nice things and think, hmm, that's inherently theft.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I didn't but... know Nintendo was charging us taxes now. <laughs> <laughs> also,
2: this, this kind of got me thinking about something... Like, you know, there have been a lot of rumors about, you know, a new switch on the horizon. And for a lot of people, those rumors sort of went right out the door as soon as the switch OLED edition. God, that awful name. The OLED edition was announced. OLED. And I think that because we got the OLED switch, we're probably not getting another switch for a while but there have been nine different studios that have reported in the past like some some of this dating back like over a year that they are developing Nintendo games for 4k and I have heard theories that actually make a lot of sense that the OLED was basically supposed to be a 4k switch but because of the chip shortage they basically just sold the shells of a four K Switch with the previous switch's software and were like, well, this is the same. And I think, from what I've seen, based on the fact that Metroid Dread is a is a first party game, the fact that there is even like minor performance issues makes me think it might have been designed with a different console in mind, at least at some point in its development. Like, I I feel like there was a 4K Switch that was being taken into account when this game was in development.
0: I don't know. I'm not super into the conspiracy theories or whatever. Even even Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild has stuttering issues. I think the Switch just isn't great. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) That's exactly what this is. But it's still... Uh, I don't know. It, the whole thing's a little bit weird to me. I do think a 4K Switch is coming. It's just coming later than, we, than we're than we thinking right now, or we thought prior to the OLED being announced.
0: I think it would be interesting, just hang, hang with me for a minute, if instead of releasing a new model Switch, they just released a dock that essentially has a graphics processor in it. <laughs> I
2: think that would actually make a lot of sense. I, I would I don't I couldn't even guess what the tech would need to look like to make it happen. We have similar but...
0: tech already for computers. Um, yeah. you can have external uh, uh, GPUs at this point, so it's not entirely beyond the realm of possibility. It would be interesting to see something like that in like a consumer product. I don't think we've seen anything quite to that level yet, uh, other than you know, just for PC. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of essentially what some uh, laptop docs do, from my understanding. Yeah. So I, I don't yeah, think it would be I too use, insane.
2: Yeah, I mean, I use something to this effect literally for work every single day. So <laughs> so clearly it's possible. I mean, like, I, I don't play my Switch in handheld mode very often. Um, but I do think that... Even if the even if the handheld performance isn't as good, I think it's still contributing something meaningful to the Switch. So really, just making the docked experience better, I think, would go
1: a long, long way. Even as someone that pretty much never plays a dock, I definitely agree with this.
0: I don't like playing games handheld. Um, like, even back in the GameCube days, I bought the, uh, the Game Boy adapter, like, as soon as I found out it was a thing. <laughs> I, just, I, just I just prefer having liked... my TV to play games on. I, th- I think it's a better experience. And having like a controller without having to stare at my hands the whole time. I think with a lot of
1: Nintendo games, a lot of them like aren't very story focused or anything. So you don't really like, you don't really play, pay as much as attention to them. So I'd like to have like a show on in the background or something. <laughs> Like, I don't want to, like, this is a Nintendo game, but it's a good example. Like, I don't want to just, like, start playing Hades on my TV. There's not much going on in that besides the gameplay.
0: The words you're saying make no sense to me. I understand every individual word you just said, but when you put them in that order, it's just complete gibberish. It meant nothing to me.
1: I like to play a lot of Nintendo games in handheld mode because there's not a whole lot to pay attention to. Metroid Dread is, and, I guess, uh, Breath of the Wild are probably two of the only Switch games that have not been like this.
0: I pay a lot of attention when I'm playing games. Like, I, I want to take in the full experience. I, I'm not a good multitasker, I guess. So... Playing on the TV is generally just a better experience because it gives me something big to focus on instead of small.
2: Big screen better than small screen. Yeah. It's that simple. No, I think that I just I just enjoy playing games on the television the most. Like, more so than handheld games, more so than PC games. I just like to be able to sit on a couch and look at my TV and it be the only thing in my line of sight. Yeah. yeah. I definitely also, agree with that the performance i i have seen some noticeable difference in previous games like i said i haven't played dread uh in handheld yet but uh there are a lot of games that the tv experience is much much better in general
0: i think breath of the Wild's is definitely one of those two
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah i still mostly i, I think i still mostly played it in handheld though <laughs> so speaking of unsubstantiated
2: rumors we finally have one that came true. (laughs) The GTA trilogy is coming.
0: It's been at Walmart for years.
2: It's true, but the GTA trilogy is coming to new consoles.
0: I've heard there's going to be updated graphics, but I haven't seen any screenshots or anything yet, so I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, Yeah, big announcement that Rockstar finally actually confirmed that the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy. That's Grand Theft Auto 3, San Andreas, and uh, Vice City? Yes. Yeah, those ones. They're finally coming to modern consoles, and they're getting the remaster treatment at the very least. They haven't said too, too much about what it's actually going to be like. I don't know if I should expect something on the level of Grand Theft Auto 5, you know, or if it's just going to be better textures on the same models and engine, you know?
2: I, I think it's definitely going to be the latter. And what I'm kind of pulling that from is this quote uh, from Rockstar, which says, the three games will feature across-the-board upgrades, including, gla- including graphical improvements and modern gameplay enhancements for all three titles, while still maintaining the classic look and feel of the originals. Like, that kind of makes me think this is going to be updated textures maybe some reworked character models but generally speaking this will still be at its core the the three games as they first existed um another thing i want to point out the full title of this is grand theft auto colon, the trilogy hyphen the definitive edition and i really <laughs> like that
0: <laughs> grand theft auto the trilogy the definitive edition ultimate cross tekken with new funky mode
2: featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series
1: <laughs> Yeah,
2: I'm going to be honest about something I've only played
0: Grand Theft Auto's 4 and 5 I know
1: not even played 4 I never beat 5 story I mostly played the multiplayer Grand <laughs> Theft Auto 3 is
0: one of my earliest video game memories actually I remember playing it um, on I remember playing it on my mom's boyfriend's uh, Xbox way back in the day <laughs> Probably around the time it came out. I shouldn't have been playing it at that age, but I remember it, it. I just, I don't really distinctly remember too much. I remember driving an ambulance around, but that's really about it. Well,
2: it must be a game about saving people then. <laughs> that's all well, oh, I kind of so... assume.
0: <laughs> that's enough digging
2: into this game. No. <laughs> um, it's just one of my earliest
0: coming... gaming memories, which I think is kind of interesting. And it'll be kind of interesting to actually give it a try now that I'm, you know, an adult.
2: one thing i find interesting in this release is that they also confirmed that in 2022 the games will be coming to ios and android um so like i know that on paper mobile mobile gaming can still look and feel a lot like console gaming and pc gaming um if these games are going to be anywhere near the uh size and scope that you would expect them to be this game will be about 100 gigs of my 64 gigs on my phone.
0: I assume that the mobile ports will probably be of the original game. Like, without the improvements. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: probably. And realistically, knowing how I am as a person, if I'm even going to try any of these games, it will probably be via the mobile port using my backbone controller.
0: I'll probably pick it up for PS5. Maybe PC. You know. Definitely not the Switch.
1: Oof, that Switch version <sighs> is going to be something Honestly surprised it's not cloud-based Yeah, I know
2: They're so quick to make things cloud-based now And I hate that
0: <laughs> It ruins the point Like I know I just said I don't play handheld much But if you're playing cloud versions of games You can't play handheld mode at all So mm. Well, I mean, you you can But you have to be connected to internet the whole time Yeah <laughs> so, I I, uh, I don't know how that goes.
1: I mean, I'm sure there's some ridiculously oversized dongle that'll allow you to have Ethernet connection to a Switch while in handheld mode.
0: Once again, that's not the issue. The issue is you can't leave your house and play it.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what I don't get about cloud gaming in general. Like A lot of the times that I would even use that would be places... You know where I probably wouldn't even have signal or something, <laughs> or not great reliable signal <laughs> at least.
0: I think they just want to offer something similar to like PlayStation Now, or uh, I guess Xbox Game Pass kind of fills the same void. Well, I think
2: it's just I think it's just they don't want to be left behind on certain AAA games that the Switch just couldn't handle, and so far, I mean the performance has been fine but it's still not going to compare like the, the like streaming a game on Switch it, it's fine but I have played I have streamed games from my PS5 to my phone when I was just on cell, like cell phone service and it still runs fine so I mean like the bar to clear there isn't you know it's not the best and that's all they're really doing is clearing the bar with it
0: Hey, but at least you can play Doom <laughs> on your Switch, I guess. I, I just well. don't see the appeal of cloud gaming on Switch. Especially with how crappy the uh, the network interface stuff is with the Switch.
1: You know what I don't see appealing? The Avengers game. And now, thanks to paid XP boost, it's even less appealing.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's really funny because they made a huge deal about how there were not going to be any microtransactions in the game that weren't for cosmetics. Um, oops. Changed their mind, I guess.
2: Oops! All b- Oops, all microtransactions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess at this point they know they're not going to bring any new players in so they're just hoping the whales that are still playing the game are going to give them more money. <laughs> But if you've been playing this game since launch, you're not going to need an XP boost. <laughs> Who is this for?
2: I I don't know.
0: I'm guessing, my bet, they wanted to get this in before they added Spider-Man. That that, that makes a lot of sense. That way the anger or whatever around it would be dead by the time Spider-Man comes out. <laughs> and then people are more yeah. willing to spend money on it.
2: I could definitely see some of the some of the whales, as you refer to them, coming back with the Spider-Man DLC and buying these just so Spider-Man isn't substantially weaker than every other character they have. So, I mean, I guess I kind of see where the audience is there. But this just, this sucks. All the decisions that have been made post-launch for Avengers have sucked. And the game sucked to start with. So, like, I don't, I don't get any of it.
0: Talk about this is- one of the biggest screw-ups in uh in gaming i would say
2: it's definitely like it's definitely the most disappointed i've been with the game in all of gaming honestly (laughs) it's probably the most angry i've been in the game in, in all of gaming because like everything about this game should have been so in like like right up my alley like it's set in the avengers world it's this new story from the perspective of Miss Marvel instead of like tried and true Avengers. It has this games as a service kind of grindy side to it, which I am prone to getting getting sucked into in other games. I'm and I'm not totally. All, all of that just falls apart because the gameplay just isn't very good, and the progression system is also very very bad. So
0: it's just so repetitive.
1: Say, yeah. Like, the combat is fine. Progression is bad.
0: It's fine but when it it's works. So re-
1: yeah, it's fine if you're not playing as Hulk.
0: <laughs> well, like, it's it's, just, just... it's incredibly repetitive, but then it's also broken. Like, I, you'll constantly run into bugs, or the game will just crash on you, and you're just playing normally. Like, when um, the Kate Bishop DLC came out, I was like, oh, I'll give the game another try, I guess. And I couldn't get past, like, the first mission that I had in her campaign because it kept crashing, like, all the way out of the game. It's like, even if I enjoyed what I was playing, which I wasn't, it's not very fun. (laughs) And the maps are too big, but there's barely any traversal other than running for a lot of characters. It's like Iron Man's the only character where it's actually fun to get around the map.
1: (laughs) I assume Spider-Man will be. But also, I'm probably, I don't know, I might start, I might try it when Spider-Man gets added, since he's free.
0: (laughs) I don't know anymore. That was always my plan, was just to wait for Spider-Man, but I'll probably launch it up and give him a try. But it's just going to feel the same. All the characters feel the same. just such a disappointing game, like, in every facet. And also the fact that it, between it and Guardians of the Galaxy, it delayed a new Deus Ex game coming. So I'm waiting on that still. Don't I deserve to be happy?
2: <laughs> That's all our headlines. So, I think that means it's time to pull the plug. <laughs> Jackson, what's something you've been into this week?
1: Well, I haven't really been playing any games or watching anything, because been watching all the James Bond movies. So i'm gonna talk about music for the first time probably on this podcast one of my favorite bands lord huron who are a alt slash indie slash rock folk band there are a lot of things they wear a lot of hats
2: and at least a couple of them are made of straw but i felt really good about that and neither of y'all laughed <laughs> but comedy I really like them like solid group well, yeah. they're responsible for one of my favorite songs of all time
1: I would say they're responsible for some of my favorite albums of all time their album um, Vide Noir is so good like I don't the, the way I describe V Noir is a I don't Never mind, I don't know how i describe this album. The
0: way I would describe it is I wouldn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this album is kind of, you know, the weirdly the way i describe it is if you were lost in time and space. Uh, which then, looking at the track list again, the first song on this album is called Lost in Time and Space. Like, a lot of it feels very, like, surreal, but also, like, some of the songs on this album are very, like, rock-heavy especially um, ancient names part one and two, which are which is a big departure from their previous stuff, which was a lot more regular folk and this is more their rock folk stuff. But yeah, and like all their albums tell like a story throughout the track list. It's just they've got some really interesting songs and really interesting sound that kind of just changes between every album, but like not in a bad way. And you just you know, if you haven't listened to them, I think they're really worth checking out.
0: Their work on Tarzan was incredible.
1: I don't get this joke. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't seen Tarzan. <laughs> that's that's why it didn't click.
2: <laughs> Jason, what's something you've been into?
0: Well, I've mostly just been playing Metroid Dread and getting prepared for that for next week. But other than that. I've been watching the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> and let me tell you, after watching American cooking shows, it's a breath of fresh air. First off, they're not competing for anything except for approval of old people. And isn't that what we all want? It's just such a nice atmosphere. They're all so nice to each other. They like legitimately if people finish early in the challenges on the show, they'll they'll go help other bakers. Like, their direct competition. You would never see that in an American reality show. Can you imagine you're watching an episode of frickin' Chopped? <laughs> and someone's like, oh, I finished my my frickin' cake early. I'm gonna go see what everyone else is doing and help them finish their cakes. It's people that are baking because they love baking. <laughs> and I, it's just, it's relaxing. It's a very nice, fun show to watch. Um, I picked up on uh, the 2017 series, which is like season five or something like that, because that's when Noel Fielding became one of the uh, presenters or whatever, the hosts, I guess. Uh, and I I really like Noel Fielding. I think he's a really funny guy. So,
1: But how does it fare to another uh, grade A competition show uh, blown away? Um, the, the glass blowing one.
0: Yeah, uh, well, they're very different because Blown Away is about glass blowing. That's going to be your key difference. Is uh, and they only they
2: only eat glass once in the in the <laughs> Great British Baking Show, and it ends the way you'd expect.
0: Now, something else that's really cool about Great British Baking Show, or it's called Great British Baking Show in America, but the name of the show is actually Great British Bake Off. I don't know why they gave it a different name in America.
2: Well, we don't know what some of those words mean.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Bake Off is really complicated, so it it would be impossible (laughs) to determine what they were doing. But, like, they make a lot of different foods that, like, from all different places around the world. And it's kind of interesting. They have, like, different types of challenges. Um, They're specifically... They have a technical challenge in the middle where they don't know what they're going to be making. They just come in and they're given a recipe. They're, they're told what the recipe is when they start when they get the recipe like what it's gonna make but like it's just they go in completely blind to the challenge. They're given a recipe that doesn't have like cook times or the amount of ingredients that they need to put in uh, And it's just like figure it out based on what you know of baking and what you see on the in the recipe and it's just super interesting to watch. It's a really good show. I would uh, definitely recommend that you guys check it out if you get some free time and you want to watch some English people bake. <laughs>
2: sorry i only watch english people play soccer sorry i only watch people i only watch english people that stand near people that play soccer (laughs)
0: um i also want to say something that led me to this show was i started uh i'm a big joel McHale fan so i i we decided to watch his cooking show crime scene kitchen uh and it was awful maybe one of the worst (laughs) cooking shows i've ever seen
2: Every American cooking show has to have some really dumb twist to it, and I hate that. I just want to watch people that are good at cooking cook good food. And also, I want to watch whatever, whatever Guy's Grocery Games is as well, which is the opposite of that.
0: Guy Fieri is a hero. But that's really mostly what I've been up to. Jordan, what you been doing?
2: So, I have a couple different things I want to talk about. But I decided that I'm saving one to be a TV mini, and another isn't interesting enough to bring to a podcast. (laughs) So I'm gonna focus in on a little game called Super Metroid. (laughs) So as I've alluded to many times in the in the podcast over the past several weeks, Metroid Dread is the most my most anticipated game this year, other than Ratchet and Clank, which is already you know coming past. But I wanted to really get that feel for what Metroid is and what it has been. So I, I started Super Metroid on the Switch. They have the, the uh, Super Nintendo channel thing. So I started playing it on there. And oh boy, that, that game holds up. Like, it still looks and sounds great. It has some incredible map design. It has some of the coolest, like, it has some of the coolest evolutions of the Metroid series. And I think it's sort of what cemented it as, like, one of the big guns of Nintendo's in, you know entire industry. Um, it's, it's such a good game, y'all. You can play it for free if you have Nintendo Switch Online. So, like, go check it out, especially if you are planning to pick up Dread and you haven't yet. But considering that Dread's already been out for a couple of days, even when we're recording this, it will have already been out for, like, a week by the time this goes live. You're probably already playing Metroid Dread. <laughs> Which we will talk about in depth soon. But yeah, Super Metroid still out there. It's still very good. Big question for you: um, If
0: you continue yes. playing it, save the animals? What?
1: <sighs> yeah,
0: that's the big part at the end of. It's that's the big thing at the end of uh, Super Metroid. You have to decide whether you save the animals or not.
1: anything about this game?
0: It's pretty famous.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've only finished it once, and I, I I went that route. Then we'll see, we'll see. I'm only like three <laughs> hours in, which is it's like especially halfway big, to the game.
0: Yeah, it's especially big in the speedrun community because saving the animals takes longer. But most speedrunning like competitions will have save the animals as one of the uh, like one the of separate the
2: categories. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. not necessarily a category. They'll they'll usually have it just as like. A incentive for donations. Basically, anytime you see a speedrunning, I guess I mean more like a speedrunning exhibition, like TDQ and that kind of thing. They'll always have save the animals as a big special incentive where people can donate whether you're going to save the animals or just leave them all to die.
2: <laughs> Admittedly, it's not a super fun part of the game, <laughs> so I kind of get the appeal of just skipping it, going to the end.
0: It's also pretty stressful.
2: Yeah. But anyways, go play Super Metroid if you're not already actively playing Metroid Dread. All right, folks. Well, that just about does it for the Totally Biased Media podcast. You have several ways you can reach us, and we hope you do. You can find us on Twitter at TBMCast, on Instagram at Media, or you can send an email to TotallyBiasedMedia at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on the show, your suggestions for new things to review, your own reviews, which we will then incorporate into the into our review section. So, you know, whatever whatever you want to tell us, tell us, and we'll engage with you however we reasonably can. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup.
0: I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias.
2: Thank you, everybody.
0: Goodbye.